Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Podcast. I'm Jason Abrams, and this is the place where we lift the curtain on the world of real estate like never before. Every week, I sit down with visionaries, pirates, and mavericks. We're here to document, demonstrate, and most importantly, demystify their game-changing models and systems. What secrets propel them to the top, and how are they living their dreams? This is about passion, it's about strategy, but above all, it's about real, tangible success. So buckle up and let's dive in. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Podcast. Can we just stop, friends? Let me just ask you this. How do you introduce Gary Keller? Now, if you're in the residential real estate industry, you know him. He's been in it now 40 plus years. Him and Jay Papasan authored the book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which is the namesake of this podcast. I've known this man since I was 19 years old. He is a friend, a confidant, a mentor, and above all, a teacher. He's the teacher. And today, he is gonna teach us how to live bigger lives and build bigger businesses. Friends, hang on tight. Here comes Gary Keller. Gary Keller, how are you, sir? I'm awesome, dude. How are you? I am excellent, thanks. So, so many of the people listening to this, they had their life changed by the book that you wrote, MREA. Uh -huh. Ah. And I think for good reason. And one of the reasons is, is it was and is the definitive book of models for mm -hmm. the residential real estate business. Sure, that's right. That's what it was intended to be. It's an interesting thing to sit down and write because prior to that, there were tons of books on real estate, but very few books that focused on models. So I want to understand why models and how did that show up in your life, not just your business life? Well, that's a great question. Can we back up for a second? Yeah, please. Um, since we're talking about that book, can we kind of talk about the genesis of that book? Please. Okay. So the, the genesis of that book was I'm coaching top agents. And one of the things, I had a couple of ahas. The main aha that I have is they're all over the place and they're not talking the same language. So if you're sitting, as an example, if you were sitting there and talking to someone about what marketing was or prospecting was, as an example, they all had wildly different uh, definitions, right? So slowly but surely, I started putting together one pagers around ideas or models, if you will, about the issues that they were facing, but I was trying to pull it together into a common language. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I ended up with this course called the Remarkable Real Estate Sales Business Game. And all it was was a collection of the key issues and challenges that agents face in one-pagers models, if you will. Based on your interviews with those agents? Based on my interviews and interactions and, and my, my private coaching with those agents. That's exactly right. So... Did you find that there were more similarities than differences as you started unpacking all their businesses? I think what I discovered is there was too much idea festing going on. It was, uh, hey, what are you doing? Wow, that sounds cool. I'm going to do that. And they had no idea if the person who was advising them was even profitable or if it even worked. They, th th there was a lot of grasping for straws, a lot of that going on back in that time period. So 
I actually ended up calling a mastermind together. So I have this, I have this book called the Remarkable Real Estate Sales Business Game, which is really uh, my models uh, based upon what I'm observing and seeing. And so I, I call a mastermind together and I, ta- I tell all of them, uh, okay, bring your P&L. We're going to dissect your P&Ls. So bring your P&Ls. And they did. Now, remember this era, these are literally, they're on plastic overlays and they're about two inches thick. They've got like an entire box from Kinko's printing, right? And I still remember uh, the, the first two came up and put theirs up there. Oh my gosh, they had no idea what they even were because at that moment, the majority of real estate agents who had any sort of a PL only had one because they were required to do it in order to declare a profit or loss for tax purposes. It's to, to write off their Porsche and their yachts and their helicopters. Yeah, 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 yeah. They definitely didn't have any sense of what it said. And by the second one, I just called a halt. I said, give me all. And by the way, they didn't even know what the words meant, right? The, the chart of accounts they didn't even know what they meant, right? So after the second one, I said, stop. Everybody give me your box, your Kinko boxes, right? And I'm walking out like with a wheelbarrow, Kinko boxes full of these plastic overlays. And I went and hired an accountant and I, and I gave it to her. And I said, I want you to go through all of this and I want you to pull, look for the commonality and I want to create your first run of a, set, a, a chart of accounts that you think reflects all of these. Hmm. And by the way, if you go to the book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, you'll see what we came up with the final version, which I believe is the first ever research exercise at that time around a consistent combined chart of accounts. Why did that matter? Yeah, well, because now you can talk the same language. So if you think about it again, you get people in a room And one's talking English, one's talking Italian, one's talking French, one's talking Spanish. You're going to have a hard time communicating. Now we can all get on the same page, if you will. So that really mattered, right? So that's kind of the evolution of the millionaire real estate agent. It was, we wrote it in about 90 days and we wrote it from the remarkable real estate sales business game, which was all the models that I'd accumulated. It's important to understand where this book came from and how we got here. And here's the reason why. Because when you're talking to somebody one-on-one, even if that person does maybe more business than you do, and they're giving you advice based on their unique experience, what they're doing is giving you their practices. And that's not a bad thing, but let's be really clear. There's a giant difference between their practice and best practice. And here's how you know the difference. Best practice comes from models and systems that work at scale. So I would tell you, be very wary of somebody who sits you down and then tells you how they do something, because it's possible that it is 100% the only and the right way to do it. But it's more possible that it happened to work for them at that moment in time in their nexus in the universe. I would tell you, look for best practice, not unique practice. Prior to that, models had to have shown up for you to know it was that important. Sure. So let's go back and answer your question now. So for me, there was a moment in my life when I was really seeking an understanding about how to make sense of being a human, uh, definitely being an adult on my own, 
And how do I make decisions? Really, as simple as that. And I stumbled on a book, Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. And in it, he said something that I'd never heard before. And that is the men and women who are the highest, and I'm paraphrasing, the men and women who are the highest achievers tend to be model builders and model followers. And that struck me as so much common sense, right? Go do your research, pull in all your information, build a model, and then, and then implement your model. And whether we're talking about your health, whether we're talking about your finances, whether we're talking about your business, whatever the issue that you want to go master, go find a model built on successful experiences, pull it together, and now you have a game plan to go run your life around that area. So... I became a model builder. And, and there was a period in my life where from religion to health, to how I manage time, to how I think about money and manage money, these fundamental key areas of life, I actually went out and built models. When I hear you say that, what I hear you saying is, I gotta teach people how to think. And so I had to learn how to think. And I built models around the things that I think about. Yeah, well, the truth is, is that that might be a little reverse, Jason. The truth is I built models originally for Gary Keller. And that is if I'm going to maximize my time, what's the model around that? What, what, how, how should I think about time, right? Do I just wake up in the morning and just hit it? Or is there some way of thinking about time that will maximize the results I get from the, the time that I put in on something, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It does kind of beg the question, which is, if that's the facts and the proven results are the people that have models end up getting the best results in those parts of their lives, then why isn't school just a place to go to learn how to build models? First, again, if you're going to build models, you have to pick your profit, right? Meaning that you don't just read anything. You, you, you need to go and say, well, I'm, I'm going to go read the best research or I'm going to go follow the most successful, right? With money, it definitely, there's so much written on it, right? And what I, what I discovered was I read a great book about how to invest money. And then I read another book and it's completely different. And then I read another book and it's completely different. And I'm all of a sudden I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to pick something, right? So I picked Warren Buffett and said, you know, I'm most certainly never going to be Warren Buffett. But the way he thinks about money. It's hard to argue with that. Well, the most successful investor in the history of time. Why don't we just study him? So when you when you when someone sends you a YouTube video of someone new espousing the secrets to money, you kind of shrug your shoulders. You can see the look on my face. Yeah, I wish I wish those of you at home could too. <laughs> yeah, well, because yes, I I already have a model. It's built off of of time tested philosophy and experience. I I'm definitely going to listen to the person, but I'm going to measure it against my model about how I should look at money and right and make a sense about uh, about rates of return and corresponding risk that's attached to that and where am I am I, where am I in my life and yeah 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 blah, 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 blah. so yeah I'm definitely interested in the new person who wants to talk about it if nothing else it might be very inspirational for me it might also be informational it might actually be educational that actually 
enhances or invalidates maybe one of the things that I was doing. And I'm always open to that. I'm not closed to that. And I'm not skeptical, but I come with already a model. I think that's a really important point because let me ask you this. Do you know people that read every book that comes out about a subject, but when you come back a year later, their life looks exactly the same? By the way, no judgment if that's you. I'm just saying I know people like that. They've read every single book on leadership, and I tell you what, they're no better at leading themselves or leading other people. They've read every single book on wealth, and they still don't have the most money. And I believe it's possible that one of the reasons this happens is because they're actually intellectual tourists. And it's okay. I, look, by the way, when I travel, I like to be a tourist. That's what I do for fun. And so here's how you know the difference. I believe intellectual tourism is people that are on the march to learn everything about a topic and then not take any changes in their life. They love the journey of learning, and that's okay. But there's a big difference between intellectual tourism and model building so that you ensure that your life improves. And in the sales businesses that we're all in, that means I make more money or I have more time. So I want you to ask yourself right now, what are the models that I have in my life to do those things? And am I an intellectual tourist or am I a model builder who's on the journey to a better life? What people do, is, and we talk about this early in the book, we talk about the boxes people build. And they build boxes because they, they accept an intermediate goal as the permanent goal. And the problem with habits and, and, uh, and models is once you adopt a model and then you start building habits, ways of thinking and habits and support and all that around that, it's really hard, right? Well, I've noticed this, especially with money, which is you hit, an, you hit this point of comfort where you feel somewhat safe, you feel somewhat secure, and you're fairly comfortable, and all of a sudden your upward trajectory stops, mm -hmm. and you just stay there. Yeah, Warren Buffett once said that the ch uh, chains of habit are too loose to be noticed until they're too tight to break. That's good. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and he's right. And so we should, we should fear bad habits. When Jay and Dave and I wrote The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, we talked about the myths around money. And Dave, of course, is Dave Jenks. He, he and Jay Papasan were, were your co-pilots, your co-authors on The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. That's right. And um, man, people have so many myths and they're so dysfunctional about it. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not advocating that someone be a millionaire. That was just a placeholder for following such a big model that whatever you do, you'll maximize your potential because you follow the big model. If you're going to exercise, train like an Olympian. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Why, why, why would you train like a, you know, oxygenarian or something? I mean, why, why, <laughs> I mean, why, why would you try? Why would, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just train to get the most out of your body? Why wouldn't you learn to manage money to maximize the potential of money? And then whatever you end up with will be your best. And I will assure you that will be awesome. And that sounds like the same. Like, so as I'm listening to you, I'm saying, okay, I got to pick the part in my life that is worth thinking about and making a model for. I got to set a goal. Then I got to do my research. I got to find role models. I got to do the reading. Then I got to take all that research and I have to write the model. And then kind of the last step, which seems to be the forever step, is I continue to read, stay engaged, to validate or invalidate what I think I learned. Yeah, you and I, uh, we constantly, and Jay, we constantly put out new plays, new one-page models. 
it's not for you to ditch the model you had. It's to look at that model and say, what can I learn from that? It, does that validate what I'm doing? If it does go, that's awesome and toss it. If it says something that potentially invalidates or enhances what you're doing, okay, then step back and get into curiosity and go, huh, let me think about that. Could I add that to what I'm doing? Not ditching something, but continually improving because that's how you're going to improve in performance. It's not by having the new model of the day. It's by picking a model and then over your career, enhancing that model, getting more and more out of that model, not ditching the model. I think the people that study you, uh, they have this idea that you must have a model for every single part of your life. There's no <laughs> spontaneity, and you and you run like a Swiss watch. That's yeah. actually not what I've observed. No, you know the truth about that. The truth is you've made models around the things that matter most to you. That's right. How do you make the decision? And everything else, uh, tubula boobla, I don't care. How do you decide what matters most? What do you mean? Well, I think that you have a bunch of people who aren't taking action or who wake up, and if the idea around you is that you must have a model for everything, and you don't. I don't. How did you select which parts of your life mattered most? Well, again, I think there's a model for that. There, there, right. And in fact, in the book, The One Thing, Jay and I actually lay out those areas. Right. So that's researched itself. Interesting. Because I, I remember I remember that section of the book. I think it's page 127. And you go through and it starts, I believe, with spiritual health and it runs clockwise. That's right. And it goes through um, my physical health and it goes through my job and it goes through my key relationships and it goes through my wealth and it goes through all these things. That's right. The other day, we spent a, a week talking about the word happiness. Uh, and at the end of did. that conversation, you did something that, that blew me away. You uh -oh. drew a giant circle around all those circles and you wrote the word happy. And I was really surprised by that. This idea that all of those pieces of your life, when you're living those with a model and you're making trajectory and you're on the path to being fulfilled, that's where happiness shows up. Yeah, that's right. The world is really caught up in what I would call the hustle game instead of the happiness game. How'd you come to that epiphany? Just observation. Hmm. And continually asking the fundamental question. And that is what matters most to me? Is it money? Does money matter most? Does health matter most? What matters most? Is there one word or one concept that I could use to define the singular goal for my life? And the answer, and the answer for me is I'm happy with my life. Now, there's nuance. So why, are, Gary, are you happy? I'm right? just going to ask. Sure. Well, and, there, and then there's areas, right? Because I maximized the potential of my relationships, right? I had key relationships that mattered, and I didn't take those for granted. And I pursued those every day to maximize the potential of those relationships. I mean, fill in the words that you want to use. The same with health. Are you happy with that? Sure. I, I did everything I could to maximize my physical health in the moment and to maximize my healthy days over my life. At some point, that's going to fail me. But there's nothing I could do about that. Absolutely. I think the conclusion that, that we had come to as we were going through this was that the majority of people thought about happiness as a two-dimensional thing. Oh. 
And our epiphany was that it's multidimensional. That's exactly right. Well, the, here's the trick. The way that I look at it is, number one, you have circumstances in your life. And a lot of people give the circumstances too much weight as it relates to their disposition. When you say circumstances, is this like, I'll be happy? I stubbed my toe. Am I happy or sad about that? <laughs> right? I, I wanted my team to win a sporting event and they won or lost. Am I happy or sad about that? And I think in, in the moment around circumstances, I think you have the right and, and absolutely doesn't really matter whether you're happy or sad or mad or angry or excited or whatever you are about that, I think you have the right to be that and you should be that. Whatever that is, right? I'm not happy about the fact that we haven't had rain, uh, significant rain in Austin for, seems like forever. I'm not happy about that. No. My trees are definitely not happy about that, right? <laughs> sure. But then we get to this, the second area. Wait, and me, that is, wait, I want to stay on the first one for a second. Is yeah. this where, does materialism live in that bucket? When sure. you say, I'd be happy 100%. if I had a Porsche. hundred percent. Yeah. You're well, it, no, no. Listen to the second one. And that is your disposition should not be up for sale. Wow. Yeah. So your disposition is, is your fundamental state, emotional state, right? If you've chosen not to have one, meaning, no, I don't have a disposition. I am always in the moment. I'm happy, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm excited, I'm, I'm, I am flip-flopping, right? I walk in and go, that's good, we're happy. What? Well, I'm mad, you know? That sounds exhausting. It is exhausting. It's exhausting not only for you, but it's exhausting for everybody around you, man. It's, it's a tough way to live. Most people live that way because they haven't made a decision about their disposition. What is your fundamental emotional state? What is it? And is it for sale? Can it be hijacked? Gosh, when I, when I talk to professional salespeople across all industries, this chosen emotional state is usually high intensity. It's, it's this idea of conquest and conquer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the hustle, hustle culture. And you got to watch that, man. My whole life... Uh, has kind of been an experiment because I looked up at that early in my 20s and I was in a work environment that was absolutely built on this, this really extreme hustle culture. And it was the number one you know, real estate company in my city at the time. And the gentleman that ran it was pretty remarkable and incredibly wealthy at a young age. But I walked in that environment and I said, but there's more to life than that. And then I said, Oh, so can I have it all? Or if I choose a happy culture and right and, and a counterbalanced culture, am I saying no to all the material experiences that earth can give you? I think that the word sacrifice is a good word. The bigger question isn't, but isn't about sacrifice because I'm not sure that I've ever lived in a world where I thought about a sacrifice. I actually prefer the word focus over sacrifice, meaning we all have the same amount of, of hours in a day. So the question is, why does one person achieve more or have more or experience more than another? And it's their use of time.
which which ultimately that that you know that the models that I built or the thinking around that ultimately led Jay and I to write the book The One Thing, which was really just dealing with that fundamental issue. Why do some people seem to go further or have more experience more than others? And it's just their use of time. Because you can't, you and I don't, I mean, on a, just the use of that. So I looked up and I said, okay. So I'm going to ditch the word sacrifice and I'm going to replace it with intense focus for a period of time. And it's called the 80-20 rule, the 90-20, 90-10 rule, right? It's called, you know, can you figure out what matters most? And can you say no? And if you want to use the word sacrifice there instead of the word no, go right ahead. But if you can say no to everything else for a period of time on a daily basis, in order to get what matters most done, then the rest of the day, you can be very unstructured. By the way, if you've hung out with me, you begin to notice going, hold it, this is the focus guru. And he didn't look so focused to me. (laughs) I wasn't going to out you like that, but that's right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. People are surprised about that. You have a lot of white space in your day towards the end. A lot of it. At the end of the day. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. My day kind of peters out every day. And the reason is because i practice the energy plan. And we we talked about that in the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And we talk about it again in the one thing. And that is you should have an energy plan. But the trick there and what you discover is you can have a massive life by just having a great day by noon. So if you can piece together control of your time between the time you wake up until about noon or so, you're good to go. After that, everything that you've done in, in the beginning of the day will define and drive what happens after that. It makes perfect sense to me. So you have this circumstantial happiness. You have this fundamental emotional state, which sounds like a choice. It is. Happiness. Well, sure, you get to decide your disposition. What 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 is your what is your overriding disposition? So that really that's a bad thing that happened to me, but I'm still happy. I'm not happy about that, right? My 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 mom passes away. I'm not happy about that. I'm eternally sad about that, but I'm still happy. So then there's this third bucket, which which seems almost like you're looking back. You you want to have earned the right to look back on your life and be happy with. Well, that's the third bucket, and that is at the at the end of your life, you want to be able to say, "I'm glad I did, not I wish I had." What does that mean? It means that that if you're not careful, you're going to fall into the category of dying with a lot of regret. And the best life is a life that's lived from backwards to forwards, meaning you start with the end in mind. I'm going to die. If I happen to be cognizant on that in that moment or on that day, what will matter the most to me? Am I going to say, if I'm a real estate agent, am I going to say, I've got two hours left. I think I can get in another hour of cold calling uh, <laughs> that is TCP compliant, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that I, right, that I could, I think I can get two more listings. And would you please bring in my trophies? And can you show me my bank account one more time? Nope. Gosh, oh. I hope not. Well, that would, when, you, when I say it like that, you it go, sounds that's, insane. that's right. Okay. But, but your whole life, you made that the priority. Is it the priority? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think if you can, if you can, again, it's this whole, a little airy fairy saying, start with the end in mind. But all it says is have a goal. What, what's, what's the end result of all of this? What, where, what's the end game? And I would say that 
if that again, go read like books on the regrets of the dying. Why don't Why don't you just go do a little research? And because people have done that, oh, right? Okay, what I know you have. Sure. So save us. What does the research say? If I if I want to look back on my life and be glad I did, not I wish I had. What's the one thing? I lived my life. I didn't love someone else's. The number one regret of the dying over and over again is the, the common theme is I didn't live my life. Uh, I let it to please others. I didn't make my own decisions. That's it, right? So I sacrificed my life for others, right? I didn't live my life. I lived I lived in into pleasing others or getting their approval. How, how does or, that show up? Does that show up in staying relationships you wish you would have left, not getting into the ones you like, not following the 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 job you want? Is that how it shows up? Yeah, you know, I yes, of course it does. It 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 again, who are you? What do you stand for? Do you know? I mean, not you personally, because I know you do know. I didn't know until you started asking me that regularly. And and by the way, I don't know if you realize there's very few people in, in my life experience that have people in their life asking them that question. And I'll be transparent with you. I think my parents did a fantastic job, but we weren't having conversations about who are you and what do you want out of life? We were having conversations about Get educated enough to go get a job, make some money, and stand on your own two feet. Yeah. My my parents didn't either, by the way. I, we, we had almost no conversations about almost anything like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mine was cut your hair, brush your teeth, do the dishes, you know, take the dog out, go to bed, shut up. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of this kind of conversation, which is really, I think, why uh, as I got into my 20s, I had a burning desire to to talk about this, get it out of the closet and and get it on the kitchen table and talk about it with people. I had an aha. My one of my weird experiences that was very poignant for me was I was in college and I looked down and I noticed I was biting my fingernails. And I had no idea why I was doing it. It looked like a weird habit to me. And I didn't give it any other thought. I just kind of went, hmm, I wonder why I do that. And I went on with it. You know, a month or so later, I, I was back in Houston visiting my parents uh, uh, away from college for the weekend. And we were sitting around the, the round kitchen table and I can still see my dad sitting to my right. And I look over at him and he's got his, his fingers crammed up his mouth. He's biting his nails. Big time. And then for the first time, I fully realized my father had almost no fingernails. I mean, that he had just chewed them like crazy. And I realized in that moment, I chew my choose my I, I chew my nails because my father did it, and I didn't even think about it. And I realized in that moment I wasn't leading my life. Gosh, I was the accumulation of observations and uh, acquired habits that were not conscious. That I was essentially, and this may not be the same experience to other people. There, are, I I definitely ran into people that were very conscious uh, in their teens. Right, I'm going to be a uh, an athlete. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be a whatever. And then they're, they're, you know, they're, they go out and at, at 12 or 16, they're hitting it hard. Well, that wasn't me. <laughs> I, I, I definitely was, was doing things, having fun and, and accomplishing things. But at the same time, I was just living life and I'm just kind of a rolling stone, just rolling around. Right. And I had, I, I watched what happened. I looked at my father. And in that moment, I realized, I'm not, I'm not really in charge. I'm not, I'm, I'm just kind of rolling along. 
And I went back, uh, number one, I, 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 I found a hack and that is uh, the way I broke the habit was I just started clipping my fingernails. So nothing to chew. There's nothing to chew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't bite them, right? And if I try, nothing there. Right. I've already, I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've gotten, I've, I've gotten them down to. They look good, and there's nothing to bite, <laughs> right? So that was my hack. But I made that choice, and so one by one, I started making choices, consciously going, "Do I do that? Do I want to eat that?" Right? And then I get into my twenties. And I'm sitting in a class by a gentleman who was amazing named Lewis Timberlake. He's long since passed away. And for the first time, I'm sitting on the front row, Jason, and he goes, he starts talking about you can be anything you want. You can live any life you want. The key is, what do you want? And I'd never thought about it that way, right? And, and so I actually, I sought, him, I sought him out, found out where he worked showed up and asked if I could meet with him. And he did. He allowed me to. And later I ended up in a Sunday school class that he taught, which was amazing, by the way. And so I bought all his tapes, got his books, and and just started, you know, going down this, this education path of mindset. Right? Yeah. And that's when I realized that I can lead a purposeful life versus the opposite. Now, how do you do that? Okay, you're going to have to have a, you're going to have to go to the end in mind. You know, what what do I want to look like, right? Abraham Lincoln said anybody over the age of 30 is accountable for how their face looks, which I thought was fascinating. Right? Especially if you've seen his face. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yes and no. Yeah, 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 ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but if you look closer at that face, you're you're going you're going to see a pretty awesome face. Yeah, and I mean, what he what he meant by that, of course, was you're responsible for who you become. Yes, exactly right. At That's some right. point, you own your life. Yeah, and at what age does that happen? Well, right? you you may I, I don't know if I read it on your social media. I saw or you said it in a class, but what you said was, if life is all about choices, get better at making them. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. And that was the point of the book, The One Thing. Learn to make empowering choices, right, around some goals that you choose. I guess so if I'm listening to this and I'm saying, okay, I, this, I felt this, I didn't hear it. I got that feeling in my tummy that I got to go take action because we all know what that feels like. Am I, am I right? Is, the first step is thinking about the end of my life and asking who I want to be and what's important to me. Yes, of course. A hundred percent is, is asking a, 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 on my deathbed, am I alone? Just start with that fundamental question. Am I alone? Oh, I'm not. Who's there? Cause Oh, by the way, Maybe if who's there matters so much, you can go help them make good decisions. So maybe they are there wow. versus dying before you. It's a big idea. It's a big idea when you start taking responsibility for that that way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the again, the, the, the goal here is, and this is, this is me, but, but the goal is to just live the, the best life I can in the time that I have, how would I do that, right? How do I get the most out of it? So just remember again, the millionaire real estate agent, the word millionaire is just a placeholder for maximum. How do you maximize your life? Be careful, because the, the tagline there is it's not about the money. Never was about the money. 
We were just choosing big models. So my point is, is this, and I'll use this as an analogy, but imagine if I went to the love of my life, Mary, and I said, I love you. Let's get married. I need to share with you. I'm very average. I have average thoughts. I eat average food. I have an average, I'm going to have an average body. We're going to make average money. We're going to live in an average house. We're going to have some average pets. We're going to have a couple of average kids. We're going to take average vacations. You know, we're going to have average. We'll laugh average. We'll watch average things. We'll read average things. Everything will be average. It's not a great pitch. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) It's, It's not a good pitch. Well, no. I mean, think about it. But if you. But I guess that's what ends up happening when you're not purposeful about having anything more than average. Um, You get what you get when you're not. Do you get what you get or do you get what you deserve? It's the same thing. I mean, I'm just saying that when you're not purposeful, you get what you get. You get get what you get. Okay. So if you're purposeful, you're going to get closer to getting what you wanted versus just getting whatever you got, right? Because a lot of people show up at the restaurant and instead of saying, what do we want to eat? What restaurant serves that kind of food? They go, let's just go eat there. And then when they walk in, their choices, now they've limited their choices. They started with being able to eat anything. And then immediately, because they they stopped at, at the first restaurant, now the choices are limited. And here we go. Is that the right food? Is, 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 right? Does that Right. Here's another example. And that is, and and you've eaten out with me a few times. uh, I don't eat out a lot, uh, but I don't really pay attention to the menu a whole lot. No, (laughs) I don't. I literally look at what this is and then I go, let me ask you a question. What's, what fish are you serving today? And the waiter says, well, we have, you know, redfish or we have monkfish or we have salmon or whatever. I go, cool. How, how do you cook that? Well, we can grill it, we can bake it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, awesome. Um, What kind of vegetables are you serving tonight? And they go, we're doing blah, 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 blah. Because here, I look at a menu and I go, that's them just prepackaging what they're doing into a formula. But why am I boxed into that? I don't want to be boxed into that. And then I ask a question, how do you cook that? Do you use butter or not butter? I just ask a handful of questions. And oh, by the way, uh, tell me about your wines. Right. And how do you select those? Whatever. I'm just going to ask a handful. I'm just going to ask a handful of questions. And then I'm going to say, you know what I'd like is if you could, I'd like to, I'd like to have uh, that fish and I'd like to have those three vegetables and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I'll just describe it. And then, and then every now and then they'll go, Oh, you want, let me show you the menu. You (laughs) want that. And we'll just switch it out and have the chef change it to that. And I go, awesome. I'll have that. Yeah. So that's, a, that's eating on purpose. That's a model for ordering at a restaurant. Yeah. I'm, just because they have a menu means nothing to me. I mean, that's just them pre-organizing all the foods back there into their pricing model. Well, good for them. I think, I think that's lovely, but I'm not married to that. You said the same thing to me <laughs> around calendars. You said, man, all your goals seem to align with a calendar. And I said, well, well yes. And you said, man, be real careful. Calendars is a creation that wasn't yours. That's somebody else's view of time. Give me a goal, and it doesn't matter how long it takes you. Just make sure the goal is big enough that it was worth chasing. Now, Gary Keller, he's one of the youngest and freest thinkers that I've ever met, if not the youngest and freest thinker. And so he goes into a restaurant and says, I I will not be shackled to the menu. I'm a little different. I go into the restaurant and I order off the menu. 
But if you're more of a rule follower and you're listening to this and your head is exploding, I want to set this into perspective. The entire planet, because we're mostly capitalists here, have conspired to build boxes by organizations because they monetize the actions that we take. That's why all of these structures exist. So if you said to me, Jason, why does the calendar exist? It's so that governments know when to collect taxes and how they're going to do it. Now, why does all this matter? Because there's some things in your life where being in a box is okay. As a matter of fact, the majority of the things in your life, in the whole scheme of things, don't matter that much. But then there are some things where you have to break out of the box. Now, I choose to look at goal setting as that thing. Don't tell me your annual goal. I don't care what you're going to accomplish this year unless it's part of a larger goal that's going to make your life better. Tell me what you're going to accomplish in five years. Tell me your 30-year wealth plan. Tell me your plan for your kid over the next 15 years. Tell me the plan for your family over the next decade. Now go back and tell me what needs to happen this year such that that actually happens 15 years from now. Now you're not living in a box. Now you're living in a world of your own design. You've become the architect for your life instead of a customer for it. I would like to take you, we always close with what we call the lightning round. Okay. And we want to hear about some of your choices. Okay. And so right off the cuff, as quick as you can. Okay. Favorite food. Oh, well, salmon. So good. So good. It's so good. Yeah. And, the and way we cook it is really awesome. The way you make it at the ranch is oh, incredible. Oh, well, that's another way. But that's really, that's barbecue. Oh. We're smoking and barbecuing. The it's salmon. so good. Yeah, it's good. Favorite color? Black. Is there a sound that you love right now? What's your favorite sound right now? It would be the sound of rain. I sleep to that. I have, a, I have an amazing sound machine, and it's raining in my bedroom every night, all night. I love that. <laughs> is there a podcast or two? Is someone in, in your head, when you, when you take a step back, is there a podcast you like to listen to? You know, uh, yes, of course there is. And there's a lot of them. Um, I've really enjoyed Pivot. It's a good one. With Galloway and, and Karis Wisher. She's great in Pivot, by the way. She's really, they're, they're good. And yeah. it, it's, it's very much, a, a, you know, aimed right at the technology sector. And then they spread out from there a little bit. But I, I find them interesting. I, I love Ed Milet. I think that Ed's stuff is, today, he's, I really like him a lot, right? I like Molly Fletcher a lot. It's great. So I have a I have a handful. Your episode, by not hyping your episode, but your episode with Molly Fletcher was fantastic. Oh, thank you. If you haven't heard that, go listen to that. Yeah, she's good. I really love Molly. What about a favorite movie? Mm. Well, Groundhog Day is my favorite movie of all time. Ned Ryerson? Ned Ryerson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ned? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I you know, it's it's another version of It's a Wonderful Life, right? Do you have a fiction author that you like to read? Yeah. Mark Dawson is my latest favorite. I, I Listen, I, I like James Patterson. I like, I could go on and on. I, uh, David Baldicci. I mean, I, I like all these guys, right? But I've really enjoyed the John Milton series. You know, you've heard me talk about that. Yeah. If you liked Jack Reacher. Yeah. How could you not like Reacher? I agree. The character John Milton is really awesome. And there's 20, there's 22 books. I think he has a 23rd coming out uh, this month or next month. So I'm excited, but yeah, I took like six months of my life and I read nothing but Mark Dawson, John Milton. 
love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, loved loved the character. I loved the everything about it. Last from question, pure fiction. Yeah. Last question for me. Everyone has a soundtrack to their life. Do you have a favorite band when you look back? Yeah, the Doobie Brothers. No question about it. I mean, the of all bands, right? As I got older, Christopher Cross became the the and Kenny Loggins became the the second soundtrack. But you will. Now it's the Doobie Brothers. You know, when I was growing up, somehow the chugga chugga that Tom Johnston played on that guitar and China Grove and Long Train Running and, you know, listen to the music and all of that. Yeah, that's it. Gary, thank you, sir. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Friends, there it is. You just heard from Gary Keller. Now, you're going to hear from a lot of amazing people on this show. Almost every week, pound for pound, I think you're meeting the, the most influential and smartest people in the entire industry. But there's only one that's built the largest residential and commercial real estate firm under one brand in the world. There's one that over the course of 40 years has populated 58 different countries and created cultural events like profit share that have literally been industry changing. Now, why do I say this at the end and not the beginning? Because if I would have said it all at the beginning, you would have went into that thinking you were hearing a podcast about real estate. You weren't. Friends, what you just heard was a podcast about how to live a better life. When I met Gary Keller originally, I saw him in a room. I was sitting in the audience and he got on stage and he said, who are you? And I'll be honest, growing up in Detroit, Michigan, no one had ever asked me that before. And I had no idea what to answer. And then he said, who I am is a spiritual being that's having a physical experience. And everything I'm going to tell you for the rest of the day begins and ends with that. Now, who are you? I don't know if you've ever sat down and thought about who you are or who you want to be. But when you hang out with Gary Keller long enough, you'll find that everything begins with that. Friends, take a few minutes over the next couple of weeks and answer the question, who are you and where are you going? Because if you don't answer those things, it's almost a certainty you'll never become the best version of yourself and you'll never get to a place that you want it to go. And there it is. That wraps another episode. Friends, I don't know what you're taking out of this. I really don't. I'll tell you what I want you to be taking out of it, which is these are the people that are having tremendously big lives. And the reason it's happening is because they're setting up the models and systems to do just that. Gary Keller told me that leadership is teaching people how to think so that they do the things they need to do when they need to do them, so that ultimately they get the things they want when they want to have them. And that's what I want for you. You're all leaders, but it begins with leading ourselves. If you're enjoying this podcast, I want you to click the subscribe button anywhere that you get your podcasts. We want to be the voice in your head every single week, and every week we're dropping new content. We also send out a newsletter at the conclusion of every show to make sure that you get the highest points and the models and systems that were discussed. So if you want to sign up, I need your name and your email address. Head over to the millionaireagentpodcast.com. Millionaireagentpodcast.com. Enter your name and your email address, and every week that newsletter will be in your box. Friends, you just went on a journey. I hope that what happens between now and the next time we meet is absolutely wonderful for you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The views, thoughts, and opinions of the guest represent those of the guest and not KWRI and its affiliates and should not be construed as financial, economic, legal, tax, or other advice. 
This podcast is provided without any warranty or guarantee of its accuracy, completeness, timeliness, or results from using the information. 